Hi, and welcome. Today we're talking with Kyle Vine. He's the host of The Music Prophet. He's the co-host of Safe Space Connections, and he's the marketing director at CKLU and Poetry Ghost. I also would like to say that this podcast was recorded in person, but everything was taped prior to the pandemic in Canada. I love talking to academics, students, scholars, amateurs, and so many more. Their passion for the topic really shines through. As you know, these topics are not always Canadian, but I am. I'm Rosie. I'm a Francophone from Canada, and this is my podcast. I guess now it's time for some history, eh? So as I've mentioned, today we're talking with Kyle, and we're talking about podcasting and media. So hi, Kyle. I really appreciate you being here. Hello. It's exciting because I get to be the guest on a podcast instead. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a change of roles. Yeah, just a little bit. And I find that now that I've really started embracing it, and I've been running a show for a few years now as a producer, and there are two or three other shows that are in the assembly line of being created. I say assembly line, but just to track, that's on wheels. It's The wheels break half the time. Yeah, and you got to find parts from everywhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you sort of have to tape a lot of things, and then you have to carry the part to another part of the assembly line when the wheels break. So you're a fixer. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but it's, uh, it's fun, you know? I put a lot of time into, and I think that there, it's a really fascinating topic looking at the actual background of it and looking at sort of where it's come from and how it develops because we have this perception, I guess you could call it, just fill in the gaps, you know? Mm-hmm. We see so much now about companies starting podcasts, but it's it's one of those things about, you know, like, what are they and what do they actually do and why do we need them instead of just mm-hmm. making one because it sounds dope, you know? Yeah. You had suggested we start around 2005. Yeah. Because I was sort of, I would say it's around the time that Pirate radio and a lot of underground radio was starting to really take hold and a lot of the recordings are actually being used elsewhere. Like when you look at people like uh, Bobito, who was, in New- who was in New York, in New Jersey, he was huge for underground hip-hop. And uh, if anyone doesn't know him, he's a great dude. He's also huge in sneaker culture. He's pretty iconic with the way that he's took shoes and made blogs in stores and just a fascinating guy. He tried to really help bring that whole element of underground rap and put on tapes and start releasing it. And there was a ton of other hosts that, I mean, there's countless names that took Pirate Radio. And it was a place you can go to find things that were not mainstream. You could listen to the CBC or to your NBC or to the other, like the Kicks type stations. But when you get into underground radio and independent radio, it's all content that's just so unique and diverse that it's almost like a microcosm. It's really fascinating how when you look at a campus radio station, it is essentially a microcosm. He took this and kind of brought it to the light? A little bit. Him and a few others, they're all part of this big movement that started making people realize they should record and release. And that brought into prevalence a lot of others who started actually releasing shows, what became known as a podcast. 
you know, there's people like Adam McKay, who in 06 was probably one of the first, actually, to brand it like that. And his show is pretty iconic with the way that it made his interviews with his guests where you could go and download them and you had to go to a specific site to find them. And there was, around the time, obviously, there was still public radio, but these were conversations that were hard to have otherwise. So you couldn't listen to the radio and hear the interview on on the radio, essentially. Right, because it's something that, you know, it's almost similar to kind of if you think about Howard Stern now. Mm-hmm. You, you listen When you listen to a show, you're going to get something that will probably shock you, but that's kind of, that's his style. Mm-hmm. You know, he makes conversations that you don't find anywhere else, and that's sort of in 06, that was extremely rare. And it's really interesting that when you look into the history of who else was there, there weren't many that were able to push the boundaries too much because you need a platform and you need a space and you need the microphones. You need the environment to create it. And before it was underground radio funded by an investor or, you know, you get the, you might've seen the film Pirate Radio where it's all about, where it's a boat and that's how they send the music out. And it works great. It's actually a great film, honestly. It's about these five or six dudes that are on a ship in the middle of the ocean and they send out radio and they're an underground rock station. And so if you're tuned into the right signal, then you'll catch it. Yeah. So what else happened? I mean, the technology has been advancing quite a bit since the 90s. So what are other things that might have helped push this? The growth of phone tech was also huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 2000, 2009 was when the iPod came out. So in 06, that's when the Nano and the Classic started obviously becoming a thought. Well, the Classic was after, obviously. But a lot of advancement of technology was a big factor. And we were trying to have portable devices. The Walkman was, as much as it was something that was useful, it was starting to not quite phase out, but it was changing its use. And there was more releases on streaming and the radio play was starting to die down a little bit, which I guess would also possibly correlate with the rise of TV at the time. I mean, that's, that's not backed by historical fact, of course. But when, you, when I think about that time period, MTV was around, much music was around. Yeah, I remember taping music videos. <laughs> oh, of course, right? Yeah. Like it was, it's one of those things that when you have things to watch or music to listen to, you're not, you, won't, you don't listen to radio, you know? The odds of you turning on CBC on your radio alarm clock or on actual physical radio, because at, at, at the time that's what it would be, it's pretty low if you can turn on talk shows. Or your favorite music. Yeah, and with much music VJs. I mean, that's where George Stambopoulos started, right? Mm-hmm. It's just those dudes were iconic. And I mean, he still is with what he's doing now with his show. But yeah, it was the change of media. And I feel like that's going to be a theme overall just because it's the same trend is coming up now with the way that the media has changed. And then again, once the iPod comes out and once we start looking at portable music and CDs start dying off and then when tapes fade out, you know, it's, it's fascinating actually. It's sort of a side tangent, but it is really interesting seeing how consumption of media just changes and there's so many factors, but yet there's always something that will die out until, again, a decade or two, de- two decades later, it just somehow fades back in. And that's what kind of started the push for the audio that you can control. Because when you have so much, when music is changing platforms, when you have TV, you have radio, the odds are that you're not going to have time 
to listen directly to an interview then. And what you're getting on Much Music or MTV is probably filtered a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're doing a podcast, it's, I would honestly say the best definition of podcast is audio content that you can't get on radio because it's something that you can have conversations like this where it's, you don't have to back and fact check things. You don't have to have someone in the corner saying, well, we have sponsors, so you have to watch out. Or the CRTC says that you can't criticize a certain thing or you can't be transparent about something else, you know? It almost sounds, a lot of it's about transparency and during that time, that's a big factor. So in the later 2000, 2009, you said 2010, and then when the iPod came out... Like that was major. That was major. That was a bit of a branding move, I feel like, because Apple took on the term podcast. They sort of popularized it because it had already been happening and it was already being used by a ton of people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's already been people like Mark Maron, uh, you know, like Adam McKay, those guys, they're already like Dave Jackson. These guys are sort of the pioneers that started in 05 or the pod father, you could call them. And yeah, but then when the iPod came out, they, in the announcement, Steve Jobs was the guy who said that we are going to make podcasts more popular and easier so that now there's nothing attached. It's in your pocket. You can just carry it whenever you need to, listen when you want, pause it when you want. You know, it's right there in a file beside your music. And it's sort of that pushed a ton of the popularity, but it also did create obviously a shift. There is more demand, there's rise in quality control. That would be a factor, but it's that is definitely a turning point, and especially for when it comes to the background history. It created a lot of growth when it came to actual popularity. People that were on radio before then transitioned to podcast, which is also a common trend. You look at today, like Anna Tremonti, she left CBC in 2019 to start a podcast. Peter Mansbridge left CBC to start a podcast. And so there's the trend has continued, and in 2009, obviously that was sort of the beginning of it. But that also created the need for uh, a bit more control and guidance because once you have a lot more opportunity to make these, you needed podcast networks. And you needed groups of, in companies rather, to make it so that they can do the work for you because there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And in 2009, 2010, the tech we had probably was not great. And at the time, they did have Libsyn. They had some early platforms mm -hmm. they used for podcast hosting, but they're probably not great. There's you know, a steep learning curve. Oh yeah, it would be immediate. You would sign up and immediately you'd have to learn. Like I cannot imagine being in that time period and having to pick it up because it's so easy now and you can grab a phone or a microphone or just order online and for less than $200 you have something. But back then you don't. You would have to know what you're doing with the audio equipment. The editing software was not simple. It is really fascinating how it became monopolized in a sense where there was this big push to create a podcast network to support this big flow of new podcasters. All these hosts trying to new, do new things, in turn, it created demand for them to have support and they needed help marketing. They need help with the editing because they don't have time. They're probably not getting paid, right? And they got on board and then this seems to be a repeating trend. It's becoming a trend now as well. It's almost a cycle about a 10 year cycle actually, that ironically enough, it's very similar to modern day. And when you look back at the start, like you're saying, the editing and the time put in, how were they found? How were the podcasts found? People didn't even know what a podcast was. They might have an iPod, but still not understand how to get more people talking or more podcasts. 
Yeah, and at the time, all they could really use was a thread finder, or they could use app websites or essentially websites that track your RSS feed, which is just this... Uh, it's essentially like a, it looks like a website link. You know, it has HTTPS with a whole bunch of stuff, and then at the end it just has .rss or other different variations, but you would have websites that you would go on to, and it would track that RSS feed. You put the URL, and then it will show you every new episode. But if you didn't have that, if you weren't savvy, it's a challenge. And I mean, even now, it's there is a similar thing, but it, back then, I can't even imagine how tough it would be because you'd have to educate all your listeners and every single time a friend or someone asks, how can I listen to your po- to your show? You have to tell them the website, the link, and obviously social media at that time, it would have been, it would have been, I guess that would be the peak of MySpace, yeah. roughly. Blogs were big and content was starting to become huge. I mean, that's when Tim Ferriss really started building out his four hour work week and his entire career. And then there was others, uh, there's that dude who talks about procrastination. I'm blanking on his name. But he, he became incredibly popular from a blog after like 10 years, writing every day about how to change lifestyle habits about procrastination, which is an interesting element of podcasting as well, is that with the growth of TV and blogs and everything else, podcasts are something that you can make your own. You, know, you can track the same sort of tech that was used for podcasts. I feel like it worked out well that blogs were perfected after so much time because the same sort of approach is taken when you use an RSS feed tracker. You still have to know the place to go to it. You still have to be able to find them online or you still have to know their email contact or mm-hmm. where, they're, where they're doing it. And the recording tech is whatever you could find, I imagine, right? Mm-hmm. So 10 years ago, we see a shift, not a shift, it's more of a meld, I guess. You know, it's working in tandem. So you have podcasters that can propagate the information with media Essentially, yeah. You know, it's starting to get more things in. And then, of course, sponsorships starting becoming involved at that point, And people are trying to monetize it. And when you're the only big networks or when you're trying to get paid, a podcast network is there to save you and to support that growth, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, trying to do this all on your own is hard. But if you're with a group of a dozen shows, you can all cross-promote, you can all target, you can have stats. It's one of those things that I feel like it's a... Not a beautiful disaster, I guess, but... Perfect storm. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would be a perfect storm where people are able to come in and they just happen to be there. The collide of everything and our ability to get used to content and creating new types of content is huge. But at the same time, I do think, especially with a modern perspective on content marketing, but with content marketing, I think that that's an interesting part of just the whole conversation too, because you almost have to jump into what it is, right? Okay, so let's jump into it. (laughs) Uh, Since you're bringing it up. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big part of the dialogue because I think that it's all about what you create. Everything comes down to one person and their ideas. Whether it's a podcast, a blog, a video, it all comes down to one person sitting down and deciding that I want to create this. And it's always been a thing and you go back to whether it's a written blog of someone who just has something specific to say. Or whether it's YouTubers and the whole rise of the YouTubers in the uh, 2010s to now, essentially. You know, or Vine, where they're all content creators, essentially. But it's just, it's incredible. And I find it's really interesting as I become one myself that that changes culture so much. The way that a person creating content can actually push the culture forward without needing 
the verification of a publisher or of much music or even the time that a lot of much VJs start to separate and do their own thing, that's when they actually make a cultural impact, more so than when they're on air. You know, when you look at George Strombopoulos or Strombo at this point, it's incredible how much he's done. You know, he started with much, but then he started having radio shows and working with bands and writing about them. And it's just growing over time to the point where now major bands like Green Day and Alexis on Fire go to his house to do a launch back to the public space, you know? And there's actually, there's a band where the drummer is from Sudbury. They recently performed in his house. And at the same time, actually, his mom was actually lucky enough to be there and watch it. And it's just, even when you see all the response online, it's true excitement. It's just, it's a big thing. Knowing that this guy had an idea and energy to create the opportunity, you know? Which is a bit of rambling, but... No, it makes sense, right? mm -hmm. You're saying that without that, without the idea of the content, this wouldn't have went forward. And that's the biggest thing with podcasting, I think, in general, is that it's all, it's not possible without a lot of motivated people, whether they're doing it because they want to, or they're trying to sell their brand, or they're simply doing it because they got offered to. It's something that it all still comes down to, there's a human behind it. And it's really interesting seeing how it's growing over time. And you can see the differences and you're able to meet someone who is doing it as a career move versus someone who's doing it because they're just naturally inclined to create content. You know, you get guys like Bobito Garcia, who is still doing that now. Recently, he released a documentary about his life about three or four years ago. It's a great documentary. It's actually kind of a lot of fun. He's now a DJ. You know, that's kind of become his thing. And he's still releasing videos, releasing new sneaker lines, uh, writing books. You know, like there's certain people that have remained in media, especially because it's them, you know, they're just naturally a content creator deep inside somewhere. Mm-hmm. Then if we go back a little bit and we think to that first iPod that had these podcasts, how quickly did that grow? It only took a few years. It was a matter of the culture picking it up because it was convenient and did die down a little bit. Once the rise of film and a lot more music videos came up again, you know, the streaming services in the 2010, or well, even like the 2014, 2015 time, and, and since then, that's distracting as well. It changes the landscape completely. It's, it definitely played a factor and actually brought it down to underground a little bit where you had radio stations and it became something that, you know, if I honestly thought about it in high school, I didn't hear many people talking about podcasts. You know, it wasn't a word that was really in the dialogue. And I don't know if you found that, but... Yeah, I mean, I accidentally listened to podcasts not knowing there were podcasts. I've never had an Apple phone. And that's a, that's another thing too, is that they can be branded as something that Apple started and it's sort of common knowledge that Apple made them popular, but they've always been. There's always been those Dave Jacksons. There's always been those Joe Rogans. Mark Moran, he just really, I keep saying Mark Moral. Uh, he has a show called WTF and he just interviews comedians and it's great. And he is on episode 1086 and he releases them every five days. So you have people who've been doing it for years and it's just, it goes in and out of style and sometimes you find them Sometimes you don't, you know? And that's what I find interesting about it, actually. And that's what I think that's what fuels my, like, not obsession, but my passion for trying to find better ways to get them out there because we have this bottleneck now in growth. 
where when you get to the modern age where millennials, the millennial era has made them popular again Mm -hmm. because we now have so many distractions. And it's one of those things like you just, I don't have time. I don't, I'm not, I can't stop. You know, it's why Netflix is great. It's why Spotify is fantastic. I can catch up on my favorite artists at three in the morning. I don't have to wait for the CD. And so now with the rise of them of podcasts again, it's become a trend because it's conversations that you can't have on media, especially now. Uh, it's just, it's changed it and the availability is there, but the distraction is also, I think that's what fuels my passion now is just looking at how it has changed, but how to fix those things, you know? It's, it's really tough to make an app that searches. And there's things like Google Podcasts that you can search as a function and you can use uh, things like Libsyn or Blueberry or Anchor or Podbean and search on their website for shows. Mm -hmm. But the show has to be in their directory. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Apple, they jumped in and they have yet to release a search function. And so you get apps like Podchaser or Podkick or every other single variation with the word pod in it. And it's sort of taking that RSS feed tech from the early 2000s and just applying it now. Mm-hmm. And it works great, but it's, it's so, it is changing now, but it's definitely, I don't know. I think that's why I'm so interested in the platform and media form because the way to do it has not been defined yet. You know, there's still so many kinks in it. There's still so many tech problems, ways to do it better. There isn't, the editing style isn't monopolized yet. You know, it's not like film where there's only a few avenues to actually go to get it released. Mm-hmm. It's not like blogs where you have to go to WordPress. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go to WordPress, well, either you make it on your own or you have to deal with whatever SEO, which is very marketing heavy. But as a job, I do marketing, so that's why. <laughs> if you're if you're wondering as a listener, <laughs> uh, those apps are huge. And it's a, it's a challenge. It's something that I've struggled with and... With the shows that I run, I've put a lot of time into researching how do you actually make good SEO, and it's really tough. You can make liner notes. And oftentimes, I find the tags are very general. Mm-hmm. I have that problem with, uh, with a show called Safe Space Connections that I co-host, and we have, our conversations will sometimes go anywhere. They'll go from innovation to talking about a guy that's trying to make a video game, you know? <laughs> you can't tag that, and it's also, and if you do, you could say video games could be your tag. And it's also such a used tag. You know, the thing with SEO is that you want to pick a word that isn't commonly used so that when they search, they find you. You can try to find a word that's not commonly used, but the chances are if you go too out in left field, then they won't use it. And then if you go too much at home plate, then it's going to be used by everyone, Mm -hmm. which requires you to have tons of blog articles, social media content, backlinks, all this stuff that if you're podcasting almost impossible to be able to do it well it's definitely the challenge i think that's something that's relevant too is that the challenge of marketing hasn't changed yeah in close to what 15 20 or more years obviously Mm -hmm. because even when internet radio is a thing they were still recording and releasing technically yeah it's a version of podcasting oh absolutely it was early stages it was infancy of it and uh that is really, it's really fascinating how it hasn't changed. It's still a challenge. We have so many platforms, but now the challenge is which one do you use? Yeah, that's a tricky thing. I mean, the nice thing is most of the time your podcast, you'll send it to Apple Podcasts and it will dissipate, but there's some that aren't. So you really have to do your research. And yeah, and even to add on to that, it's just Apple will only send it to a certain few. And also, I mean, as a producer, I find the biggest challenge is actually when the information isn't updated. 
And sometimes, I don't know if you've found this and if other people listening have found it, but when you distribute it, and if you click the link and you go through Apple Connect or Spotify, the description goes through but nothing else. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to go to the website of uh, listennotes.com and you have to go there and actually update the information by hand and manually fix that, saying who the host is, what your topics are. And I made that mistake with the music podcast that I host. I made the mistake of deciding I should have it on as many networks as possible. So it is currently on 30 plus websites. And I just I just found articles with lists of places to, to distribute and it worked great. But then you have to take the time copy and pasting your RSS feed link, your description, your topics, and everyone is different. Some have like interview forms. And then you realize that you now have to track that all. And it's just, so it really is, it's just, it's crazy actually how it's so specific, but yet compare that to 09 when you're now trying to get found when you had only MySpace and those early stage apps uh, like Friender, like if you're trying to use Friender to promote your podcast, mm -hmm. you'd have to teach people where to go. And if it doesn't work, then you can't really just, they can't just message you and be like, hey man, it, this didn't work. <laughs> a lot of it comes, it still comes down to humans. A lot of it can just be a simple mistyped error sometimes or... Uh, a lot of the tiniest things is like it comes down to the guest who you bring on and did they talk well or maybe you bump the microphone and you just tap it hit a dial that made it so that your mix was off or the sound was off you know when I do on location things I have a tiny microphone that I carry with me and it's mm -hmm. great and it depends on the environment you know there's room the environment like if you're in a really spacious room it gets really echoey mm -hmm. whereas the room we're in now has enough stuff on the walls that it's not going to bounce. There's like people walking upstairs and there's people outside the door. So, you, you know, you might hear some ambient noise, you know, ambulances going by. And that I think kind of that, yeah, that's actually good you mention that because that is a big element of, I think that hasn't changed, is noise. Because background noise, that's always been there. Uh, I was actually listening to some of the old tapes from Bobito Garcia. He's a dope dude. Yeah, it just <laughs> seems like he's just top of mind at the moment, apparently. Yeah. Uh, I think it's because I was watching an interview with him and Dave Chappelle from like 06. And it's one of the few where Chappelle tells stories openly and it's great. Uh, but I was listening to old shows that he did and like you could hear the background fan. You know, like it's, it. nothing has really changed with background noise. It's still the same. And I, that's, that's actually, that's one of the things that with taking radio sound and, or taking a radio broadcast and turning it into a podcast, that's the biggest challenge. Especially with CKLU over on in downtown Sudbury, the traffic and the train and the noise, it kicks in and you can erase it. But even with the best software, it's you don't fully get rid of it unless you have a really good microphone, unless you have noise cancellation. Of course, that's obviously changed. I mean, a big part of podcasting that has improved is the technology. You yeah. can now buy a microphone for $120. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a pro, but you can also get one that costs $500 to thousands, obviously. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that that's noteworthy to add on top of all like the history side of it. So the tech part is also important. Oh, it's, yeah, it's huge. The way that even though the apps now are still having trouble finding it, and even though most of you listening are still wondering where do I find them, because it is hard to find them if you don't have Apple or if you don't have Google Podcasts or Spotify. Mm -hmm. But the technology has made it incredible. The way that you are able to re record and create 
on with the push of a button and you're able to edit it seamlessly. It's honestly, I think that's kind of mind blowing actually, how just convenient it is. Very convenient how you can get into it. A lot of the barriers are, re are gone. Biggest roadblock now is actually making sure the quality is there because there's so many podcasts out there unless you have friends that are nice and tell you that's terrible. <laughs> Yeah. There are lots of uh, discussions about the inundation of podcasts and how there'll be too many. The marketing side of me would agree, but then again, the podcaster side of me would disagree, I think. Because from the marketing standpoint, uh, the competition is incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something that you are now competing with Joe Rogan. You're still competing with Mark Merrill. You're still comp competing with Dave Jackson. So from a marketing standpoint, it is inundated. I feel like it's quality over quantity is a huge factor. And for me, it's major. You know, at one point on Facebook, I was sharing weekly, I would share a podcast that's done local. And it was hard to find one that was at the quality standard of a normal podcast. Because you can start small, but it can be really tough. Because it might be a great conversation, but if audio is inaudible... Mm -hmm. It's very hard to listen to. Mm -hmm. And then you can have the other side of it where the audio is fantastic. It could be terrible. It could be something that you just, you're not gaining anything from it. This is just them doing things when they're, or you're not the audience for it, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, so from the marketing standpoint, I would say there are too many, but there's too many podcasts that don't have a direction. That's the, that's sort of the context, you know? They don't have a place they're headed. But if you know where you're going, I feel like you're fine. You, then you have an audience, you know your niche. You can go for years. You know, like Joe Rogan, he knows his crowd. He knows that he brings his guests on for a very transparent conversation about chimpanzees and DMT. That's his show. That's where you hear about things that you don't hear about anywhere else. And it's there's a lot of other major celebrities. But then the podcaster side of me says that there isn't enough yet because there's still a lot of disenfranchised voices. Uh, it reminds me of in Toronto, there is a podcast network i'm blanking on the name of it right now but they started and they're focused on giving people the chance that are either black asian female a lot of the just groups that don't really have as much empowerment opportunities and they're giving them a chance to record so i think as a podcaster there's a lot of opportunity there is that if you have a story that's unique you stand out because there's so many white dudes doing it and i can say that because i'm one of them you know, I have a lot more opportunity because it's more welcome. It's just, there's something about the culture. Whereas, as, and especially in your case, I feel like, Rosie, like, as a female host, it's it's not common to see it. And then if you look online, it's, you don't find many articles that list or that, that will feature a female host. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There's some fantastic where the both hosts are female. There has to be different people for different audiences. Yeah, and I feel like, too, it's... A big factor is not even gender. I think it's about the perspective. You know, it's it's what perspective you bring to it. So whether you are from Canada, Djibouti in Africa, or um, Italy, it doesn't matter, right? It's all about your perspective and what you're bringing on. And if you're not bringing anything of value to the interview or the conversation, it doesn't matter what gender or race you are. I feel like it's... But it's all, it always comes back to the opportunity and the, you know, like you were saying, that network in Toronto that brings forward people that then have the opportunity. Yeah, because otherwise, if there wasn't things like that, and if there wasn't things like Canada Land, which is the Canada Land Network has been incredible. I mean, they released Thunder Bay. Mm -hmm. 
which is all about the missing and murdered woman. And they also have the show, which is one of the longest running critical views on left media. Uh, you know, there's places like that where they have a crowd and they are sharing voices that are hard to find. And, and if I blend the two, I would say that there's a lot of podcasts that we maybe don't need now, but eventually we will need them again. And there's a lot of voices that would be great to be heard, but maybe the timing isn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, it all comes down to audience, movements, culture. We're getting into a point where we're looking for a lot of more female voices. And actually, even recently, the Oscar nominations went out and there's no female directors. That's huge. That influences podcasts. That influences voices coming out. That that changes what happens next year. You know, that makes more female directors come out of the woodwork. And in the last 10 years, I mean, we've seen a growth, but it's only a minimal percentage of growth. That is actually kind of fascinating because when you look at media Mm -hmm. and you look at podcasting, um, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like there's sort of a correlation between that, you know, where there's the voices you find in media directly correlates with the cultural trend in in a pop opportunity. And that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's you can't change it. But the ability for certain people to become VJs with much in 09 is the same as now with People like Joe Rogan being able to use his fear factor and UFC background to get a show, you know? Or you have other YouTubers like Ethan Klein, uh, the H3H3 channel, where he was a successful meme YouTuber and he started a podcast. So within the first two episodes, he had millions of views, you know? So there's a lot of opportunity. And then sometimes it's just you build an audience, you have a crowd, or you have a lot of friends who just support what you do. You know, it's kind of, it's... I just talked myself in a circle, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, it is, I think it's that circle actually, that is kind of like our culture. It just, we constantly go back and forth and we might be complaining about how many female directors we have now, but who knows, maybe in 10 years, we'll say there's no male directors, or maybe we'll, we might say that there's too many podcasts with, uh, I don't know, that don't talk about sexuality, mm-hmm. but in 10 years, we might say that we have too many and we need some that look at like a Christian lifestyle because that's a thing too. It's a certain audience, but if you're a part of a group where you feel like you don't get those stories, you have them. Or you can be on the other side and learn about true crime. Yeah. You can binge. That is huge right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, I don't know, I personally don't... Maybe it's because since you and I both have history backgrounds, you naturally <laughs> think critically. Like, you're always thinking of how, does, how do things relate. Mm-hmm. And even when I think about the way that I looked into podcasting and put research into it, I was constantly looping back. You know, I was looking at certain people and thinking, wait, that's the same here. And so maybe it's just, it's the audience, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But they shift, whether it's media or politics or war, like it's sort of the elements and the causation points change. But at the same time, it's, if you don't notice it, or if you don't have an entire group on board that noticed it, then... Okay, side question. So as somebody who studied history... Do you sometimes wonder in 50 years how people are going to look back at our current history that we've lived in the past, let's say, 10 years? It's a good question, I think. Actually, it kind of terrifies me because we're moving so quick that I feel like we can't take in what's happening. Um, A really good example or anecdote is the show Silicon Valley on HBO. The way that in the six seasons, it went from them trying to create internet and like struggling even to live in a house with three other dudes And then the final season when it basically becomes all about AI becoming powerful and overwhelming. And I feel like it's, I don't know, it's scary for that reason because we're moving so quick 
and it's just accelerating and accelerating and it will get to the point where we won't have record you know we there's stories of indigenous uh, musicians and throat singers and historic storytellers that they're gone because no one was able to record the stories just like languages mm-hmm. yeah. and so in 50 in 50 years even in 10 years tracking languages is going to be impossible if we don't have books as much and i don't see how we're going to keep audio if we're not using computers if we're not using usbs or servers then where are we going to store the millions of podcasts of episodes or like where are we going to store the millions of books that are, that are written each day so yeah, I don't know. It's it's really interesting. Like it's something that I try to think about. Like when I work on a project, I try to think of how can this transition because it's one thing to create something because you like it, and it's another to create something because it helps others. And when you can find the balance of the two, then you find true happiness because you get the response of your gratification that you're done. You did it. But then if you know that the person listening is also getting value, then I find that it makes you actually more motivated intrinsically and extrinsically. Um, There is something motivating about making something last. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a mentality I have, but I think a lot of the big leaders and people who are in charge of culture, you know, the, the Bill Gates or the Tim Cook or Elon Musk's of the world, just looking at tech, but then you look at the Dave Jackson's, I guess, too, right? Uh... Or Adam McKay, where it's like they just knew they needed to carry on something. And they're doing it for the benefit of culture. And that's, I think that's the way you're able to prepare for the future. Is that as long as you're making it accessible, and as long as you're helping others move forward, I think then you're able to carry the stories forward. And they're not lost, trapped in the head of someone that will one day die and never be able to pass it down. Mm -hmm. Which indirectly, or somewhat connected but not really which still fits media topic. Uh, Dave Chappelle, in his acceptance speech for the Mark Twain Award in 2020, he spoke about how his mother called him a griot, which is a storyteller in their small African village. And so I feel like that is actually very, it is relevant because that's something where what the best goal is now is that, you know, you if you're a storyteller and podcasts are storytellers, when you're bringing people into the room, I'm technically telling a story. And when I interview guests, I'm trying to get their story. So I guess to wrap things up in a way, like I think that's podcasting is all about stories. And if you're able to find the best stories and if you're able to shape them, then you can use that history and use the way that tech and culture and interest has changed over time. It doesn't matter how many people are doing it. Only the best stories will actually win up over top, I think. Mm-hmm. So funny question. If you had a time machine, would you want to go forward in time or backward in time for this topic? Would you want to visit somebody in the past that was at the cusp of something? Or would you want to fast forward to something that is not even invented yet? You know, what do you think that would be at the time? I would go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Just because then you can see, then you can have a better, bigger impact. If you, if you take the knowledge that you have in modern day and you bring it forward, it wouldn't apply anymore. And I feel like if we're talking about podcasting and media specifically... Mm-hmm. I would go back to like New York 2005, 2009, just because in that time period, there was a big cultural shift. Uh, there was a ton of stuff happening. Um, you know, there's something about like that time period of 2005, 2010-ish, I feel like, because then when you add in like the LGBT culture changes, the changes in politics, obviously, and then also just the rise of social media, of film, of streaming, I think it would be fascinating to have a role in that 
because then that way you're actually creating change compared to going ahead in time when you have to catch up. Or it could just be going ahead in time and seeing what's, you know, where do you think this is going or what do you see for the future? But that would, that wouldn't be exciting when you return, you know? Yeah. It would, there's something about that where there's excitement in going back in time, knowing that you're working towards something, but you don't know what it is. There's, yeah, there's, there's a thrill and challenge in being able to know or knowing fully that what you're doing might not work. But if it does, and if you hit that right person who hits another person, then you'll actually create that, um, like a ripple. Yeah. It's a complete ripple effect where it's just waves Mm -hmm. and I find complete motivation and satisfaction when I know that you make a wave. And it doesn't have to be huge, it can be one person. But I'd rather make a wave back in time in a place where you can make waves instead of going into the future and having to teach everyone and sort of be swallowed by the wave of other people. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's fun to think about anyway. It is, actually. And as like I feel like as a side note too, it all depends on the time and the context. You know, it's... If we're looking at like food culture yeah. or like startups, I think it'd be fascinating to go forward to see how they develop because there's a lot of tech that we're making now that I've seen and worked with. And it's just, it would be interesting to see where it goes because if I went back in time, you wouldn't predict it, you know, like you wouldn't predict the IOT, uh, you wouldn't predict smart fridges, you wouldn't predict self-driving cars, whereas you can predict that media is going to grow. You can, it's very, like, if you were in 05 and you saw a TV, you'd be like, yeah, it's probably going to take off. But, like, you saw a car, you wouldn't think, oh, that's going to drive itself. <laughs> Unless you start thinking about robots. <laughs> right? And then, but then at that time, I mean, that's when uh, Soylent Green, um, Space Odyssey 2021. Isaac Asimov. Yeah. That's when all those films came out. So, I mean, that the ideas were there. So, I guess if the context was different, then, of course, you know, like, it would be really interesting seeing where technology goes, but even just food culture, you know, like where waste goes and where the environmental causes are government because there's so many changes and we go through so many spectrum shifts politically over the decades. That would be interesting to see what happens in, you know, like 50 years if we just, if the pendulum goes back and forth just every 10 years and just never stops and be like, well, all right, guess we're not changing. Yeah. Guess we'll find out. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't have a time machine. I apologize. <laughs> That's a shame. So as a historian, what was your favorite time period? I, when I was younger, it was Greece and Rome. Mm-hmm. I was a huge fan of watching the rise and fall of those. That was my favorite time period in high school because I was really fascinated by this tiny details. But now, once I got to university, I think my favorite time period is actually the 20s to 40s. That time when a lot of change happened. So the Great Depression and all of that. Yeah, just because with what I, what I do now, which is a lot of content marketing, a lot of ideas, brainstorming, trying to tell stories, I find it's fascinating how stories were created in the 20s and how in the 30s, society still functioned. It still ran. Government still managed to go without riots. And then in the 20s, when you look at the occult, when you look at uh, advertising, the culture shifts, like the flappers, it's mm-hmm. one of those things that... I think that would be, it's the most interesting to look at because it's so indicative of where we're going. But it also sort of tells us like what we've tried and it kind of gave that sense of like, oh, so suffrage is going to come or race will become a problem at one point or gender roles, maybe they're wrong because if people can be flappers in the 20s, then not everyone's meant to be a housewife, I guess. I think that, yeah, the 20s is definitely a time period where there's so much 
knowledge. And then if you get, when you get into like the occult, of course, and then people talking to the dead and getting debunked, and you have the uh, Randy, the guy that's internationally known as like the uh, seance debunker. So that's always fascinating. It's kind of like my guilty pleasure is just like occult documentaries. So I want to thank you for agreeing to be, to come on the podcast. I mean, your topic was really different and interesting. So I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I'm glad that I was able to come on and talk about it. And obviously, I'm a, I'm slightly tired today, so some names might be off, but... <laughs> That's okay. I, I, I hope that it filled the gaps. You know, it's such a big topic, and mm-hmm. it's something that I didn't start to appreciate podcasting, the nuances of it, until you really get into details, until you hear the growth of it and how much it's changed, but also just how much it hasn't, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I appreciate you breaking it down for us and really going through it. Yeah, there's a lot of voices that are waiting to be heard, and it's just a matter of them finding the place. Yeah, well, good luck, and we'll have all the info in the show notes. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cal. That was really fascinating. I never really thought about the history of podcast in quite this way. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Now, the film that Cal had recommended is Pirate Radio. It will be added to the show notes. You can catch me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at HistoryA, or at HistoryA.podcast, and the website, HistoryA.com. If you have time to rate this podcast on your podcasting platform of choice, I really appreciate that because it helps people find me. Also, I want to thank my husband, Jamie, our brood of kids, our family, our friends, and all the teachers that have helped me adventure through history. Without you, it wouldn't have been possible. Un grand merci.